Wednesday evening at the prayer meeting, something happened to me which doesn't happen very often. It's one of those situations when I sort of heard a voice when there's nobody talking to you. You know, it's something God does for his Holy Spirit at times. And all I heard was the word Jude. Now, knowing the letter of Jude, I thought, well, that's not really particularly cheerful normally. Uh, You'll find out in a moment. Uh, But I did read out some of the verses at the end because it, it, it ends up a lot more cheerful than it starts. But I thought, as Sam's already said, I'm going to be talking about us being a church which is spirit-empowered. And actually, looking at it afterwards, I thought, actually, Jude is a very good introduction for us in this. It was probably written about 30 to 40 years after the start of the church, after Jesus' resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And thinking of our group of churches as a church movement, it's been going for about a similar period of time. So a lot of the kind of things which come up in Jude are things which we can also experience now. So I'm going to start by reading the letter of Jude. If you haven't found it yet, it's the page before the book of Revelation at the back of your Bible, but it will come up on the screen as well. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reeds at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves waterless clouds, swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. I told you it wasn't particularly cheerful. 
It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favouritism to gain advantage. This is where it gets a bit more cheerful. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority, before all time and now and forever. Amen. just want to pick out a few points from Jude before I go on to the other scriptures. I think in verse 3 he reminds us that we need the scriptures which we were looking at uh, a couple of weeks ago. We are primarily people of scripture. That is uh, of importance. And everything else we understand comes from that. I'll come back to that in a moment. In verse 4, it says that people have crept in unnoticed to pervert our understanding of grace. And it's a warning that it is... And when it says people crept in unnoticed, it's not as if people have crept in sort of blatantly saying, you know, this is what you've been taught is wrong, this is what they should now go. People come in who, when we first see them, look as if, yeah, they're good, they're understanding what God is saying. But actually, deep underneath, they are not preaching what is true from Scripture. And in verses 5 to 7, he goes through some of the history and continues later in that as well. So we need to be aware through Scripture of the history of the church, the history of God's people in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. It's also worth being aware of the history of the church since. So when things come, we don't get surprised because basically nobody ever produces anything new all the heresies around now have been around for millennia, not even just centuries. And if you look at Christian history, you see the same things pop up every so often. And the same, so, you know, it's nothing new. It's part of the ongoing uh, battle between truth and error. We notice in verse 8 that these people rely on their dreams. We're talking about being spirit-empowered today and it's easy to put a contrast between being spirit-empowered and being Bible-scripture-driven. 
if somebody is truly spirit-empowered, there is no conflict. But those who would just rely on their own visions, their own dreams, are not truly spirit-empowered. And that shows up where the difference comes between what they're saying and what Scripture tells us. And we're told in verse 19 that these people are devoid of the Spirit, but we should be people who are praying in the Holy Spirit. We should be keeping, and doing that says keeping ourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. So... If we could have the spirit-empowered thing up now. This is the uh, value we're looking at today of being spirit-empowered. And it's expressed as that we believe that all the gifts in Scripture are available and desirable today for building the local church, extending the kingdom of God. We believe every believer should be filled with the spirit as part of God's desire to empower us for Christian life and witness. And what I want to do now, for about the next ten minutes or so, is actually look at the scriptures which are quoted there and see what they tell us about being spirit-empowered. So the first scripture is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 5. I'm going to read from verses 15 to 21 where it says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reference to Christ. So we're not to be drunk with alcohol, but filled with the Spirit. And the evidence of being filled with the Spirit here is addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord of our hearts and giving thanks always and for everything. Things we've been encouraged to do today. So I think one of the first questions we need to ask ourselves if we are filled with the Spirit is does does that reflect what I've just read in the way we respond when we come in on a Sunday? Or if we feel that doesn't reflect how we respond when we come in on Sunday, do we need to be refilled, either filled with the Spirit or do we need to be refilled with the Spirit to bring us into line with what Scripture tells us? In Acts chapter 1, before when Jesus was talking to his disciples before he rose to heaven, He said the following. Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So, another consequence of receiving the Holy Spirit is receiving power. But the context here is power to be a witness for Jesus. So again, that is evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit, that we have the power he's given us to be able to witness. And equally, it means if we feel we don't have enough power to witness, the obvious response is to ask to be filled more with the Spirit. Because we can't, it's not something we can build up ourselves. If Jesus says that we need the Holy Spirit to be able to do this, I think we can take it as for grant that that is actually what we need. Then the next reference there was to get in Paul's letter to the Galatians and from chapter 3. And I'm going to read verses 1 to 5. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Which ties back in a bit to what I was just saying. We started our Christian life receiving the Holy Spirit by faith. We need to continue our Christian life dependent on the Holy Spirit to continue to strengthen us in all we need to do. And finally, I want to come to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I will first read verse 1 and then verses 4 to 7. Here it talks about the gifts of the Spirit. It's tempting when we talk about being Spirit-empowered to think immediately, I need to jump into talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Now, obviously, talking about being spirit-empowered and missing out the gifts of the Spirit is a bit pointless. But I think it's important that we approach it in the order I have. It's not that we somehow think that, you know, there are some Christians who haven't got the Spirit, and then... There's other Christians who've received the Spirit and therefore got the gifts of the Spirit. All of what we experience in the Christian life is through God's Holy Spirit working within us. The reason we as a group of churches will put a strong emphasis on the gifts of the Holy Spirit is because the other elements I've already talked about would be commonly accepted across all the churches. But, particularly within the evangelical churches, 
it had come to be accepted that the gifts of the Spirit were only for the time of the early church. And then somehow, once we had got the written scriptures, they were no longer necessary. This actually was a sort of a very, probably very early 20th century concept. It's not something which had developed uh, until about that time. But again, if we look over church history, you can see how the Holy Spirit has moved using uh, the gifts, giving the gifts to people over the different centuries. It's not that it was something which happened in the early church, stopped at about 80 AD or 100 AD, or whenever you want to place it, and then only suddenly reappeared in about 1905 or if you're Anglican in the 1960s, or whatever. God has been giving people the gifts of his Holy Spirit right through the centuries. People might have expressed it differently, they might not necessarily have had the vocabulary to express what they were experiencing, but if you look through church history, you can see God has used these gifts in many different ways over that time. But I think this is one of the things as a group of churches which, when we started, would have distinguished us from a lot of other Christian churches is that we put a strong emphasis because we are people of Scripture. It's not because we want something new and something exciting. It's because we see this in Scripture, and because we see it in Scripture, we, and certainly this is the, what spoke to me in the late 60s, early 70s, as I was coming across uh, groups which uh, used the gifts of the Spirit. The thing which attracted me to it was the fact it was something you read in Scripture. And therefore, it's something I would expect to see in the church now. So this is what Paul wrote about spiritual gifts. He says, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed, or in some uh, translations, ignorant. Verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So, as we want to be a Spirit-empowered church, a Spirit-empowered people, we're going to expect to see these gifts of the Holy Spirit being used in our church. Now, Sometimes we see these gifts, obviously. 
Sometimes we see them not quite so obviously. Sometimes we're in meetings, you will get a lot of experiences, if you like, which you would directly associate to the gift of the Spirit. I think it'd be true to say of us at the moment, that's not so frequent. But it's not something we can sort of turn, in one sense, it's not something we can turn on and off, because it's something which God does. On the other hand, it is the God always uses us when we are willing to be used and we need to be, there is the question of are we willing to let God use, uh, the, express the gifts of the Spirit through us in the church. Now as I said at the beginning, I'm not, not going to go through that list in any great detail, I don't think that's the appropriate thing now. And I think this week in growth groups, it'd be good to follow up individually and together on what I've been saying. So if you've got specific questions on gifts or whatever, that growth group would be a good place uh, to do that. And it'd be good to pray for one another uh, in the growth groups. But I did say we'll spend some time in ministry. Now I think what it would be best if you know, while I've been speaking, or earlier in the meeting, that there's something that you need specifically to take action over and to get prayer for, I'm going to ask you to come to the front in a moment so we can pray specifically for you in that situation. However, I suspect for most of us, this is not going to be so much a there's a very one specific thing I know I've got to deal with as that there's quite a few things I know I need to fine tune or to recommit myself on and what I would suggest as far as you want to and able to to pray for one another in small groups say two up to four just to pray into particular things you want prayer for or even just if you don't want to share anything specific, just want prayer generally. But these are the sorts of things I felt as I was preparing it might be. You know, has anything crept in unnoticed which you need to deal with? Is there anything which the Spirit has begun in you, but then you've left and not seen through? Do you think you're underpowered? And do you need a refilling of God's power. What are your motives? When you're looking at the Holy Spirit working through you, is it because you want something more for you? Or as in a lot of the scriptures I've read, is it something to enable you to serve the church? There could be other things, but those are things which particularly struck me Maybe because they're things I need to deal with as much as anything else. But, I th you know, most of us are fairly similar and most of us tend to end up with the same issues. So, as I was saying, if you know there's something you particularly need prayer for and you need to step out as a sign that you're responding to that, do come to the front now. Otherwise, can I encourage you, 
in small groups just to get together and pray for one another. And uh, if you're in the refreshment team, stay as long as you want to being, in the, being prayed for. Uh, if it means we have to wait a few minutes at the end to get our drinks, I think that's worth doing. So, either come to the front or get in small groups and pray for one another.